Hey y'all, I'm Kua. And this is Kendra. And this is the Black Gems Dive In Podcast. Podcast about inclusive cultures and everything DEI. Good afternoon, folks. We are... Um, Ready to begin. We have some people that are still coming in, but um, we are going to get started and, and hopefully people will jump in as they get here um, so we can be careful with people's time. So welcome to Leadership Buffalo's Town Hall. Today's topic is diversity, equity, and inclusion in healthcare in the African-American community. Um, we have two fabulous women um, with us today. Let me give you the very extensive bios. I'm gonna try to tell you as much as you realize who we have with us. Um, we have with, oops, hold on one second, I have to get the bio. We have with us Akua Menz Edu, who has over 12 years of experience working with municipal government, nonprofit, and healthcare organizations. She has been responsible for implementing equitable policies, communications, and programs that align with organizational strategic goals and vision, especially in diverse and underserved populations. She has been instrumental in shaping workplace cultures with the emphasis on maintaining employee engagement through strategic analytics and program design. Akua has extensive management experience with a focus on creating effective teams. Building relationships with employees and advocating for equitable support and change is a major highlight of her work. She enjoys decision-making with influence from data and the employee experience. Last year, she started Clementine Gold Group, a consulting firm specializing in diversity, equity, and inclusion implementation. This past March, Ikua was recognized with Buffalo's Business First inaugural IDEA Award, which is Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Awareness, highlighting her work in the DNI space. I was a judge for that, by the way. Congratulations. Oh, that's good to know. Ikua <laughs> uh, volunteers with the Emerging Philanthropist of Color, and in 2018, she was appointed by Buffalo Mayor Brown to a three-year term on the Commission on Citizen Rights and Community Relations, leading the Community Relations Committee. She also serves on the Teach for America Buffalo Leadership Council. She's a 2014 graduate of Leadership Buffalo Rising Leaders, and she's also a member of the Buffalo Urban League's Young Professional and the NAACP Buffalo Branch. She has her bachelor's in exercise science and health and wellness from the University of Buffalo, and she has a master's degree in public administration from Hilbert. She also has a certificate in Health Services Administration from Deuville, and she's pursuing a certificate in diversity and inclusion at Cornell's ILR School, graduating this fall. Originally from Syracuse, New York, she moved to Buffalo in 2004 to both practice self-care and increase her understanding and respect for different cultures and life perspectives. Ikua enjoys international travel. She's always looking for awesome flight deals, which I'm sure you can find right now. Unfortunately. <laughs> and then we have with us Kendra Brim. Kendra Brim is a native of Buffalo, New York, and she attended Darden Academy in 2007 before receiving a four-year division scholarship to Colgate University, where she majored in political science and minored in African-American studies. She received her MBA from UB in 2019. And amidst Buffalo's renaissance, Kendra enthusiastically moved back to the area after her college, after college, fueled to make a difference in the community. Eager to help advance minor opportunities for underprivileged minorities, an area that she felt was being left behind, Kendra purposefully became involved with the Buffalo, the Buffalo Urban League Young Professionals, the National Black MBA Association, and the William Emsley YMCA, a high need branch in the city of Buffalo. 
Kendra ended her tenure as project manager at Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Western New York and enthusiastically returned to her high school alma mater just recently as the first director of diversity, inclusion, and opportunity at Narden Academy. She is the CEO and owner of K Savannah Consulting, a firm that focuses on diversity and inclusion strategies. She served two years as chapter president of the Buffalo Urban League Young Professionals, and she's currently the national programs chair for the National Urban League Young Professionals. Kendra also serves as a board member for the Buffalo Urban League. The William Emsley YWCA, YMCA, Teach for America's Executive Leadership Council and United Way of Erie County board member. Kendra's model, service is the rent we pay for the privilege of living on this earth. Some of Kendra's honors, and these are some of Kendra's honors and awards, include the Black Achievers Award, NAACP Buffalo Branch, Daniel R. Acker Community Service Award, Buffalo Business First 30 Under 30, Buffalo Niagara 360 Professional, Commitment to Service for Mayor Brown, and the Narden Academy Sports Hall of Fame. In addition, she is a National Urban League Washington Bureau Advocacy Program and Certificate Fellow. In her spare time, I'm not sure where she has spare time, she enjoys <laughs> watching movies by any time with family and traveling. She also is a Leadership Buffalo grad from the Rising Leaders Program in 2013. Welcome, ladies. In addition to all the wonderful accolades I, I just talked about with these wonderful women, they, they found in their spare time, which I'm not sure they how they have any, um, they started a uh, podcast, which is why you see them in a studio versus um, sitting behind a Zoom screen in a kitchen like the rest of us are. And it's called Black Gems Dive In. So they're, they're, this is actually going to be streaming to Facebook Live while we are on this Zoom call. So we're very excited about that. And I'm going to turn it over to these ladies. As usual, um, if you have any questions, we have you on mute. But please make sure that you um, put the questions in the chat room and we'll try to get to as many as we can. Akua, Kendra, thanks for being with us. And I'm going to turn it over to you. Thanks Thank for, you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, so like Althea said, we are in a studio. Um, we are the Black Gems Dive In podcast, um, which is produced by Cruise, uh, Cruise Control Media. Um, and we decided to start this podcast earlier this summer. Um, actually, Jamil, who is owner of uh, Cruise Control Media, came to us and said, how about you ladies start a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> and we said, what? Like, we know nothing about a podcast, but you know, he believed in us and he felt as if we had something to say. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we get into these smaller pods and we have a great conversation. Um, and people are always asking us about, you know, different ideas. How do we feel about our current climate in the world today? Um, and so we said, why not do a podcast? Yeah. So here we are today. I yes. mean, it was a lot more than that, but that's the, the, <laughs> the shorter version. That's, that's the shorter version. This sh we also should have sent you the shorter version of our bio yes. so you didn't have to read all that too. <laughs> but um, Thank you for having us. Uh, we're really excited to be here with Leadership Buffalo. As Althea stated, we are both graduates of the Rising Leaders class of Leadership Buffalo. Of course, I'm in the best class ever. Uh, no, I think that's me. Which is 2014. I know we go back and <laughs> forth, but like I said before, Althea got a grandchild out of our class. And so we definitely are the best class ever. So uh, Kendra and I are really excited to be here today talking with you all. Um, and we're going to talk about a few topics that are really um, they've been really coming up as of late because of what's been going on recently. Um, when we are in our podcast, we always do a hot topic of the week. And so we're going to start there and then we're going to jump right in, dive right dive in. Dive right in. We dive right in uh, to the topics at hand. So uh, this week we actually saw an article that the North Face and the North Face, you know, we should know what North Faces are about mm -hmm. because we're in Buffalo and have to bundle up. But the North Face company put $7 million towards diversifying the outdoors. 
And so on our first episode of our podcast, we talked about corporate social justice mm-hmm. and what that means for organizations, especially after the death of George Floyd. A lot more people are trying to do things. They're trying to tie in racial equity initiatives. Um, and there's organizations now that are looking to do things and actually put their money where their mouth is. So the North Face came out and put $7 million towards diversifying outdoors because what they found is in a lot of areas where people of color are, communities of color, there aren't many opportunities to be outdoors. Right, right. And they live in nature-deprived places. And so they felt as if that if they give money, again, corporate social justice, give money to communities, um, as well as they partner with um, entertainment, that we will, they will get more people out, uh, people of color, um, mm-hmm. to enjoy some of these, um, some of these, these activities. We also know that, you know, um, there was something in the article that said, you know, people of color are more likely to live in nature-deprived places and faced with systemic racism when they do explore. Yeah. Which I think that was very interesting as well. Um, I mean, we even see it earlier this year when it was the bird watching, right? Mm. You know, doing something like bird watching. Yeah. So um, I think North Face got it right on this one. I think so too. And I mean, it really gives an opportunity for people to explore and do things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in inner city communities where a lot of communities of color, people of color live, Um, there's lack of green space, right? There's not livable communities where people can walk um, and get exercise in that way. And so what people are trying to do now, what North Face is trying to do is to create that uh, within those communities. And I think that actually leads into some of the conversation that we're going to talk about today. When it comes to health disparities and social determinants of health. Yes. And so because my wonderful co-host talked about (laughs) social determinants, um, let's let's dive right into that. Let's dive right in, yeah. Um, So social determinants of health, those are all the factors that that create opportunities for us to be healthy. So where we live, where we work, um, all those different factors actually make up our overall health. Mm -hmm. And so they say about 15% of our overall health is related to having access to doctors. So if you can, you know, get your checkup, you have a primary care physician, but the 85% is really related to things like economics. You know, what type of job opportunities do you have? Um, you know, where, what type of neighborhood do you live in? Is it safe? Is, is there um, access to fresh foods, fruits and vegetables? Um, and we know that there's a lot of communities that aren't right. necessarily close. And so all these different factors really make up how long we live. And they, can, they, they say that based off of your zip code, we, we can actually tell your life expectancy. Right. And right. so if we live in a specific zip code, um, you know, there's ranges for, for how long you're supposed to live if you've lived there your entire life, just based on having access to job opportunities, access to, um, you know, obviously healthcare, but then other things like the neighborhood safety, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and ge- geographics in general. So, right. So in, then earlier this year, when, when COVID-19 hit, it was very interesting because we constantly heard about zip codes mm. within the city of Buffalo, mainly on the east side that got hit with COVID more than other areas um, mm-hmm. within, within Erie County. And so we talk about social determinants of health and we talk about how people are living um, in these zip codes. And within Erie County, there were five zip codes um, that has 75% or more black people living in these mm-hmm. areas. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, the COVID was, was rampant through the communities. And that's attributed to so many different things. We have, you know, more families living together. So you have more people in a household. Right. You have, um, you know, also to not, again, we talk about green space with North Face. Mm-hmm. You don't have the ability to necessarily get out and walk and get to certain areas because you're so condensed and close together. Um, we talk about, you know, there's a, a lot of people in the city, buf- in city of Buffalo within these specific zip codes 
who uh, are healthcare workers. Yeah. And so they're frontline workers. And so they go into the hospitals every day and, and assistant living and certain things like that. Um, and they're maybe bringing something home or they may be taking um, public transportation, right. you know, so now you're in these clusters. And so you have all of these things that attributed to some of the high cases that you were seeing in COVID uh, with COVID-19 earlier this year. Um, I just wanted to bring some statistics yeah. in here. So according to the Buffalo News um, on May 9th, or sorry, May 7th, um, within Erie County, per capita cases were 88% higher in the county's five majority black zip codes than they were in the rest of the county. Hmm. Um, and that's very telling. Um, also, too, black patients also accounted for nearly 19% of Erie County's COVID-19 deaths, um, although people of color make up 15, 15% of Erie County's population. Okay. So those are just telling statistics yeah. there of just telling a story of how, you know, these this attributed to COVID-19 and the increase in, um, in cases and deaths. And honestly, nationally, this is the trend, right? Mm -hmm. we, we've seen this nationally where there's a lot of communities of color that are disproportionately impacted by COVID-19, and we're still in the midst of a pandemic as well. Mm -hmm. So one of the interesting stats that I actually saw um, coming out of COVID-19 was, was related to our deaths and, and how Erie County did compared to other folks. Mm -hmm. And so they said that in terms of the deaths, we actually didn't outpace other areas based on um, communities of color dying from mm -hmm. COVID. And I don't know if that's, you know, I know there's a lot of organizations that did testing, you know, in the beginning, testing was really limited, but over time, you know, and, and very quickly over time, we had testing sites all over popping up mm -hmm. in communities and especially in communities of color where, you know, we were getting it more than other people. So right. I think, although statistically looking at the country and, and where, where people were getting it were more people of color, at least here in terms of the deaths, it didn't outpace um, we, you know, right. we were under trend compared to other people. Right. And like you said, there are so many things attributing to that. The also to UB, what Community Health Equity mm -hmm. Research Institute, um, they did a really great job as well um, in getting the word out about COVID, but then also to supplying our communities with resources to help combat some of these things. So um, I know within my neighborhood, within my zip code, there was a lot of communities um, and groups getting together, delivering groceries. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw that throughout um, the beginning of the pandemic, but delivering groceries to those um, who not necessarily can't even just get out, but, you know, who would otherwise probably take public transportation to get to grocery stores and things like that. Um, they also did, which I thought was really interesting, they did phone banking. Oh. Just so it was, you know, let people know the, the severity of what has been going on. Right. Um, and so we see these groups get together mm -hmm. and really help um, push, um, you know, to make sure that we're, we're safe. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, all of this connects to racial equity. And that's mm -hmm. a conversation that we've been having a lot on the podcast. Um, in order to achieve health equity, we have to make sure that we're paying attention to racial equity. Mm -hmm. And so those two things connect hand in hand. Um, Policy Link actually came out with a study on what we need to do as larger communities to make sure that we're addressing racial equity because mm -hmm. it connects to health equity. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at all the outcomes, you know, of all disease categories, normally, you, sh you know, normally people of color are at the highest level in all those specific categories. Mm -hmm. And so what other areas, systemic areas are happening, um, you know, that make us be at the height of all these different categories. And I think that goes back to some of the social determinants of health. So access to care. That's one component. Mm -hmm. 
how many people are using primary cares. We know in communities of color, we're seeing a lot of people utilize, um, you know, emergency rooms yes. instead of having access to doctors and, and making sure that you have the preventative care that goes alongside that as well. And so we want to make sure that we're looking at racial equity as an impetus to getting to health equity in general. Right. And I, I heard earlier um, this year, too, that really, you know, racial inequality should be another pandemic. Pandemic. It should mm. be put up there with COVID-19 because it is a high priority issue um, that we are seeing. And I think that, you know, if COVID-19 did not happen, I don't think that we would have saw all of the implications yeah. behind it. Yeah. Um, and there are so many things that are happening within our West New York community. We look at um, a lot of health insurance companies. Mm -hmm. They are doing so many things within our communities to help um, combat some of these things, high blood pressure, um, heart disease. And so I know, uh, you know, our local uh, insurance here, insurance is here, Blue Cross and Blue Shield, Independent Health. They do a lot of summer activities um, in the parks, on Martin Luther King Park, Canal side, and then other places around the city. Um, and that are that's not just to say we're doing something in our yeah. community is making sure that you're putting programs in place um, to help um, decrease some of these the issues that we're seeing. And, you know, what's interesting as we talk about um, health disparities, there have been a couple of governors who have come out and said racism is actually mm -hmm. a health care issue mm -hmm. because we see that the impacts of systemic race racism having on our health care system. Um, in, in healthcare systems, they're, they're starting to look at data to, to look at who has the highest number mm -hmm. of things and how can we impact health outcomes to make sure that that's not happening. Um, one of the things I think that they're doing is making sure that the people who work in the systems are culturally humble, which means, you know, when somebody's coming in with an issue, all the biases that I have as a person who might not connect to somebody who's coming in are checked. And, you know, you're giving that person more, more time or you're giving that person more of an opportunity to explain the different issues that are happening. I mean, health literacy is, is a big one as well. When you come into a doctor's office, it could be intimidating. Mm -hmm. You know, you can come in and you might not have the language that right. you might need to even have the conversation. So when people, providers, you know, which are doctors and nurses um, and folks are coming to talk to you, making sure that the forms that you're filling out are forms that are written at a certain level so that everybody can understand them. And mm -hmm. so we're starting to see more organizations do those things, um, but we know that health literacy is one of the things that we need to focus on as a whole. Right. And, you know, you say culturally humble, but I also say culturally competent as well. You know, that kind of goes hand in hand mm -hmm. within the healthcare system. Um, and, you know, when we, we talk about healthcare, there's a lot of conversations that we have when people say, you know, I really want to see a black doctor or I mm -hmm. want to see a mm -hmm. certain mm -hmm. doctor or, you know, mental health is huge, which is another yeah. part of, of um, health. And a lot of people say, well, I want to see a mental or a black mental health doctor. Mm -hmm. All those things play into understanding the patient, right. understanding, you know, some of the things that they're combating, um, you know, health wise and understanding what really plagues our community. So, um, you know, obviously we want to see more physicians of color, mm -hmm. but to your point, cultural, um, being culturally humble, being culturally competent is another part of what I think I'm now starting to see. And I did read yeah. that UB is really teaching that too. They are. Yeah. And so that, that institute that you mentioned, the Buff, it's the Buffalo Center for Health Equity. There's a partnership yes. of a lot of um, organizations like healthcare organizations here in Buffalo but that's exactly what they're doing. They're connecting to the med school, the UB med school, and they have different courses now that teach people that, mm -hmm. you know, and so I say cultural, culturally humble, like they call, they talk about cultural humility because that we know that there's never a point in time where we're going to be 
culturally competent in someone else's culture other than our own. Right. So we can learn things about other people. We can, we can empathize. We can, um, you know, make sure that we're understanding where they're coming from. But at the end of the day, unless you live in that person's shoes, it's really tough to say, I know where they're coming from completely. So we have to make sure that we're aware of how we show up in these spaces and places so that we can, you know, put that stuff aside in order to listen. And I think, you know, as you start, there's, there's a bunch of resources out there to, to start learning more about this. One of the books that I'm actually currently reading is Medical Apartheid. Mm-hmm. And they talk about a lot of the issues, like how, how did we get here? You know, how, how was our healthcare system built? And it started in the time where, you know, it, it goes back to slavery and it goes mm-hmm. back to when slaves were purchased to have um, different treatments tried on them. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that actually came up was, um, and I want to say it was Thomas Jefferson. And mm-hmm. there was a connection there where there was, you know, the lung spirometer. So mm-hmm. basically there's the machine that you use to try to see the, the functioning of your lungs. And um, although he wasn't a medical doctor, he's more of a PhD in that sense, they talked about um, how they would change the gauge on it because they said that the slaves didn't have the same lung capacity and therefore mm-hmm. slavery was better for them to, mm-hmm. you know, build that function within their lungs. So there's a lot of stuff like that. And, and um, in the 1619 project, which is something that came out recently, they talk about healthcare and the connection to yes. slavery and how we came here. And um, one of the things that they brought up was this, and they said that in certain areas, that still is the case. So they changed the gauge to say, oh, you know, as a black person, your lung functioning is different because, um, you know, because of that, right, and where it came from. It's interesting that you bring that up, bring that up though, trust in healthcare, mm. because a lot of people of color do not trust the healthcare system. True. And that is a, a issue within itself, obviously. We look at even going back historically, yeah. the, the story of Henrietta Lacks. Mm. I mean, using her cells for, for research, you have- All over the world. All over way. the world, yeah. right. And, and not getting, you know, she didn't even know. Um, we have even Fannie Lou Hamer, who was yes. a civil rights activist yes. who went in for simple surgery, came out with a hysterectomy. Right. I mean, these are different things that had ha- has happened to our, our people mm-hmm. and, um, you know, which is attributed to the lack of trust within yeah. the healthcare system. I mean, Tuskegee experiment. That's, yes. And that was what 1960s where they uh, were testing syphilis mm-hmm. on men of color, black men. And so because of this really tumultuous history, you know, this evil history in terms of how we got here as a country, it really has made it difficult, like you said. Mm-hmm. So we, we need to make sure that we're putting that into the care and, and having that in mind. You have to design right. programs so that people of color feel more comfortable and trusting. I mean, related to COVID-19, there's been a lot of talks about this vaccine that's coming out. Yes. And I can't tell you, I mean, I talked to some of my family members, you know, and they're like, look, I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to get the first round or the first batch mm-hmm. of this vaccine, especially because it's been so heavily politicized. And what I learned actually um, from some of the folks that I work with is that because the government actually took away some of the restrictions to testing it, they've been able to test multiple vaccines on a lot more people, right. which would essentially make it safer to take. But because it's been so heavily politicized, people are saying, yeah, I don't know. Right, right. I don't know. I know. <laughs> we have those conversations all the time. <laughs> right. You know, and I always think about, like, where do we go from here? Like, yeah. where, where do we go? Like you said, there's there's programming. There's a lot of collaborations. And, you know, always looking in Western New York first. There's a lot of collaborations happening within Western New York. For me, where do I start? Mm-hmm. I start with our kids. I start mm-hmm. with, with the children. Um, 
And within even my own neighborhood, what, what is almost sad is that we don't have viable grocery stores. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we talk about these food deserts all the time. Um, and we talk about, you know, programs and giveaways and things like that. But let's really get at the root issue here. Let's get at the fact that there's not really many viable mm-hmm. um, grocery stores within our communities. A lot of our people have to go to the suburbs, through a bus, whatever the case may be. We have dollar generals, we have family dollars, corner we have stores. corner stores, but we don't have grocery stores. And so that's something that I've recently been looking at mm. to advocate for, um, not just downtown, but in other areas as well that's, that's accessible to, to everyone. And so for me, that, that's my little project is okay. to really make sure that we have grocery stores in our area. And, and that will lead to just, I mean, everything, make sure that kids are alert when they're in at school, right. well, not at school, but when they're learning right. online, right. Um, you know, making sure that they're healthy, making sure we don't have some of these issues that we see plaguing our communities now, high blood pressure, um, heart disease, mm-hmm. all these things. I think if we start now young, obviously, you know, we want to do other things too, but if we start young, these issues will kind of dissipate. Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring up um, some of the corner stores because I know the city of Buffalo, in partnership with others, were trying to do a healthy corner store initiative where they gave uh, refrigeration units to corner Mm -hmm. stores so that they could have fresh fruits and vegetables and perishable items so that people in that area could access it. I know um, when we look at food deserts, we look at the costs associated Mm -hmm. with, with someone who doesn't have access to transportation who might not be on a bus line what it is for them to get from their homes to a grocery store. Mm-hmm. And then think about that. You got to bring all that stuff back, you know, depending on where you live, it's a hassle mm-hmm. in itself. And I know there were some stats that talked about the average cost was around like $26 to $30. And if you are coming from, you know, lack of income or are hard on income, that's a lot of money for one trip. That's like a round trip mm-hmm. to the grocery store and back. Right. And so these are the things when we talk about the social determinants of health, transportation, access to, you know, uh, affordable housing, all these things make up someone's general health. If you have diabetes and have to refrigerate your medicine, right? but you, you know, might be homeless, what do you do in that sense? Mm-hmm. And what do you do, you know, so I think we got to start to think about all these different connection points and how we can fortify them to make sure that we're strengthening our entire community. Right, right. So I like to pause here. Yeah. We said we said a lot. Um, are there any questions in the chat? We can't really see, but are there, are there any questions? There is. A, well, there's a couple questions that I think we have. Um, so a couple. One of I'm with you first of all because Kendra, whatever you need as far as the uh, grocery initiatives, because it's it's a passion of mine. Um, it's wrong that people that are not have do not have the ability to be able to access food. Um, even living where we live, a cool, we don't live too far from each other. It's, it's a, it's a ways to a grocery store. Yeah. We have to have cars. So it's, it's acceptable for us, but we study that at Leadership Buffalo. So um, whatever we can do to help. Um, One of the questions um, that is, was asked actually in the chat room, but it's sent to me privately. What are the thoughts um, that you ladies have on the relationship between education and health disparities? Oh yeah. There you go. I'm like, we're looking at each other like, you know, to jump in. I mean, education is a a social determinant of health as well. And so, you know, if you don't have, I guess, you know, if you aren't as educated, we talk about health literacy. Mm -hmm. um, It's a lot tougher to understand what might be going on with your health or even know the proper things that you should be doing um, within your own health 
Right, right. And I think about, um, you know, again, I go back to school age children because yeah. that's where my mind goes up now being in a school. I guess that's where my <laughs> mind goes. Um, but even, you know, going back to school age children, we look at the fact that there are places, pockets in the city of Buffalo that does not have even 4G network. We're talking about mm. 5G happening, but there's places in the city of Buffalo that does not have 4G. I ride through them all the time and, you know, I don't even have, you know, service or whatever. And I just can't imagine if people who are living in this area, in these areas that don't have service and access to information yeah. that we have at our fingertips. Yeah. I mean, if we want to look up, you know, something quickly in terms of a, a statistic or, you know, what doctor to go to, um, we can't do so if we don't have access to internet, just simple things. And now we have a lot of these students who are remote learning who cannot even get in sometimes because the internet is just super slow. So just imagine, you know, you can't have the information that you need. There's a lot of times where doctors or whoever may say, fill out this form online or do mm-hmm. this online. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have access to that, you can't do so. Um, and so it's, it's, it's all linked to, um, you know, social determinants of health. And I think that's a good point you bring up in terms of the technology piece, because I mean, as we were thrown into COVID, us that work in healthcare had to find innovative ways to reach our patients during that time. Um, one of the things that came up was telehealth and, and having access to telemedicine. Now there were a bunch of, um, regulations or requirements before that didn't allow us in the healthcare field to even access telehealth to, to, you know, do that. But when telehealth did come on board, who had phones, mm-hmm. who had internet to your mm-hmm. point. So if you were trying to see your doctor um, through the phone, which of all, you know, we, we'd rather not do that because having someone in your presence is a lot better of an indication to tell what ailments might be going on. But if you have a phone or you don't have a phone, now that's a barrier. You know, that's another barrier that um, would restrict you not being able to see a doctor during this time. And the more and more people that I talk to, um, even in the cancer area, people's conditions have worsened Mm -hmm. because they didn't have access to their doctors during that time. And so people also were nervous and scared to go back into the hospitals and back into care. Mm -hmm. And now that they're showing up later when everything is, you know, opening a lot more, their conditions are a lot worse. So we're seeing disparities. We don't even know how this is going to impact us. And honestly, you know, doctors are saying that it's going to impact us for decades to come. We don't, we don't really know. But based on those disparities that existed before COVID, COVID even happened, you know, we're already behind. And so those right. are things that we're going to have to focus on as we move beyond this. But, um, you know, they're definitely coming up. Right, right. Thank you. I, all those things, I, I think about the uh, lack of internet access, um, as you just talked about, too, especially when you kids are trying to learn at home right now. And uh, say there's three or four kids and mom and dad are trying to work, too. I mean, it's, you know, lack of, it's not right. You can hand out all the devices that you want but you need to have all the tools and able to be successful. So um, this is another question from the audience. So how can we get healthcare institutions to invest in environmental factors and SDOH as a form of healthcare? I don't know what SDOH stands for. Um, Oh, okay, thank you. Our healthcare system is set up to treat sick people. Are there examples um, in Buffalo or doctors or organizations who are treating um, social determinants of health as a part of patients' holistic health status instead of just the diabetes or heart disease. Yeah, and I think that's what we're seeing in a lot of the healthcare um, insurances. Uh, there's a lot of partnerships that are out there um, where, 
you know, we have people who are part of the companies who will sit on the boards of, of different initiatives. And I think, you know, when we look at some of the initiatives that are playing out in our communities, they are trying to, adge- uh, to address the holistic um, point of view. They're not just, you know, getting to a person when they get to the doctor and say, okay, we're going to diagnose that person. Um, they're starting them with at school age and then they're bringing them all the way up um, because, you know, I used to, so I used to work at um, a healthcare insurance company and those are some of the things that we had talked about um, all the time to say, how can we avoid um, someone coming into the doctor's office at age 60 saying, oh, I have chest pains and I have high blood pressure. Um, we look at, you know, again, vi- environmental factors, um, like the one in the, in the question, you know, we look at um, so many different things. And back to even what we were saying earlier, you know, if, if someone can not necessarily get on the bus all the time and, and if they had their own vehicles and, and um, you know, and that's, that's a whole nother conversation within itself because you now have to have that education to have the job to provide. So that's a whole nother edu- uh, comment. But if we, um, you know, there, there's companies out there that definitely look at the patient, and I say not patient, but member mm-hmm. holistically um, before they get into the doctor's office. So I'll just add on that. Um, I work at Evergreen Health and we look at it from a comprehensive, mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a comprehensive way. So we have programs that, um, have transportation as a factor. We have housing initiatives uh, for people that actually need housing, affordable housing to live in. We have wellness and nutrition. So we're looking at all the different components, um, teaching people how to eat, depending on what ailment they might have. And these people are touching different, uh, different parts of our organization before they even see a doctor, right? Mm -hmm. And they might be coming to us for other services um, outside of primary care. But that's exactly what organizations are trying to do. We're trying to to put in place a system so that you can come, it's a one-stop shop. You come Mm -hmm. in for one thing and we can allow you to hit all these other things at the same time. And I would say that's something that's newer. When I started in healthcare about 10 years ago, we never thought about those things. I wouldn't say never, but they were very, they were at the, in the, in the background. We were, you know, worried about the patient once they got to um, the doctor's office. And also too, I mean, for companies like Evergreen or even um, insurance companies, you keep the costs low once you are able to interf- intervene earlier on. Right. Um, you know, you don't want to wait till they get to the doctor's office and they have a high utilization rate of prescription drugs and visits and things like right. that. It keeps the cost low for the member, number one, but then also to the insurance companies. Yeah. Yeah, this is that's. Great stuff, ladies. Great stuff. So um, this is kind of a two-part question. Um, have you known anyone personally that has experienced um, this, this disparity in healthcare personally? But also at the same time, how do we resolve the lack of trust in the healthcare system among the Black community while being respectful to someone's past health-based trauma? Ooh. I only heard part of the question. That, <laughs> that, that was a little bit. Can you read it again? Yeah, can you read it again? Sure. How do, you, how do we resolve a lack, how do we resolve the lack of trust in the healthcare system among the black community while being healthcare-based trauma? Whew, that's, that's a heavy question. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in terms of the, the trust factor, um, I think you have to be consistent, right? Like you have to be consistently showing up and consistently um, coming to the table with someone 
Um, one of the things I think about like language barriers, right? And we have a, a huge population in Buffalo that's growing that are new Americans that are coming that might not um, speak the same language that we speak. And so you see people using translators, you see people having, um, you know, bilingual receptionists and, and bilingual people that are coming in to be able to translate. Um, and that in itself will help people kind of feel a little bit more at ease and, and reduce some of that anxiety. Um, in terms of the other trust components, I think it is just, you know, you might also have to partner with other organizations. So we mm -hmm. see a lot of collaboration that is, that's happening in the community with faith-based organizations, um, you know, churches mm -hmm. that are coming to the table and having these discussions with their congregations saying, right. hey, when's the last time y'all went to the doctor during a service or an announcement and then having partnerships as well with, um, you know, with healthcare providers and saying like, let's come to the table together. So when you mentioned the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, there's a lot of um, faith-based organizations that are at the table who are the conduits between the people and between the providers as well. So I think it's a loaded question and, and it's tough to answer in that way, but those are some of the things that I've seen um, in healthcare happening. I don't know. Right. Well, even, you know, the UB Community Research Institute that was, mm. that's now existing, um, they have pastors on that, that with that group advisory. um and that advisory because that forms that trust even when you look historically at um churches and pastors mm -hmm. um the church has really been that community-based organization that has um people trust and keep uh groups together and so i think you know we can definitely start there again partnerships i see a lot of um, organizations partnering with uh, you know naacp mm -hmm. or buffalo urban league things like that because you have to form that trust within your community. And then the last thing I would say is, you know, if you are thinking about setting up shop somewhere, set up shop in, in these communities that, you know, traditionally have been left behind. Um, and, and include so, them. And include them. Yeah. You know, we, we see doctors doing that uh, today where they are part of the community and they have that trust. Yeah. And that happens right here in the city of Buffalo. Right. Um, and so I think you have to partner and use organizations in order to um, form that bond. It makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned the cultural issues too. And there's so many different cultural norms from our new yeah. Americans that they aren't comfortable going to be going to a, their female, the wife going to a male doctor. And there's a lot of things like that, that they're, they're uncomfortable with that we have to accept it and really understand that as well. So um, right. this is, a, I have a question. This is my question. So um, with the Supreme court recent nominations, there's a good one um, and pending election, um, what are your concerns over the, uh, the Affordable Care Act and the potential implica implications of what may or may not happen? Hmm. That's heavy. It is heavy. I think, you know, definitely with the Affordable Care Act, um, it's been a huge controversy since its inception. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, not to, you know, say one way or the other, but I think the Affordable Care Act provided access to so many different people who traditionally did not have access before. I know, you know, when it came out, I was not 26 yet. And so I was able to stay on my parents' uh, health insurance until I was 26. And um, so it, it's done so much for um, so many different people. Uh, when it comes to now playing out in the political realm that we're seeing today, um, I think that will, it, it will have, you know, a huge uh, implication on, on the Affordable Care Act and um, I mean, women's they're, they're rights. talking about it now. Yeah, yeah, talking about a woman's rights, you know, all of that. And um, 
<laughs> there's just so much to say about that. Yeah, I mean, I guess the implicate, like if it were to go away, and yeah. I guess that's that's the question. Um, a lot of people are talking about pre-existing conditions right yeah. now, and that's a big thing that, um, you know, we want to make sure that people that do have pre pre-existing conditions have access to care mm -hmm. um, regardless of what happens. And so I think that's the biggest implication. Are people that have health conditions still going to, um, you know, be able to be taken care of right. in that realm? I think, you know, to your point, the women's issues are coming up as well. Um, access to safe abortions. Those are mm -hmm. things that people are, are questioning if that's going to still be um, something that can continue to happen in our right. country based off of the implications of the Supreme Court. Right. And, and the pre-existing conditions is the biggest piece too, like you just said. You know, there's time there was a time where you would get denied just for something small because, you know, you had diabetes, whatever right. the case, maybe you had a waiting period, all of these different things. Um and it attributes to access of care overall. If mm -hmm. we can get access of care in our communities, a lot of the issues that we're seeing will definitely start to um, get better. Yeah. Um, and so what we're seeing play out in the political realm um, is, is hard to watch. In my opinion is hard to watch yeah. because, you know, the Affordable Care Act has done great things for so many, so many people. And I think personally, if we were to do without, it would do more harm than good. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, I agree with you 100%. I think it's not a perfect system, but it's certainly better than what we had before. And I think right. it needs to be tweaked and continue to grow versus go away. So fingers mm -hmm. crossed. Um, <clears throat> let's talk a little bit more. There's no questions in the chat room at the moment, but let's talk a little bit more about the, the health disparities and, you know, whether it's COVID related or just in general. And, you know, have you experienced anything personally or your family members or people that you know closely um, with this? Yeah, um, that's that's a really great question. Um, a couple different things come to mind. One is maternal health, uh, and especially as it relates to Black women in maternal health, we have some of the most um, some of the highest mortality rates among Black mothers who are trying to give birth, um, as well as the the children that are born mm -hmm. too. Like in terms of infant mortality as well. Um, I, and and this this was connected to one of my really good friends. I know that they had a high risk pregnancy. And honestly, a lot of times they say that if you are a black woman, you're high risk mm -hmm. just because you're black. Um, and, and your experience in, in giving birth makes you high risk. Um, I had a friend who who went through a lot of difficulties and, and ended up needing to be on bed rest. Um, but it makes me think about like Serena Williams. And so they talk about economics, right? economics being that deciding factor in America. If you, if you have money and access to money, you should be good. But the reality is you're not. Mm -hmm. And so there's a couple different cases. Serena Williams comes to mind. She knew that she, she said, I have blood clots. Like I could, you know, like mm -hmm. I, something's wrong. I need to be checked. They said, no, no, you're fine. You're, you're good. And she demanded it. And they came, it came up that she actually did have blood clots. And so even being heard and listened to is, is something that a lot more, healthcare organizations need to think about as it, as it relates to communities of color. But we know that mortality rates are high among us, um, but that's something that I think we have a lot of work to do in. So that is, is an example. I mean, I've had family members who also had COVID and ended up being hospitalized for that. Um, but just the connection to the doctor, I, I talked about the health literacy component. I think a lot of people of color sometimes feel as though they're not listened to or heard mm -hmm. in those situations. Um, and there was a comedian that came out and, and I think this relates to some of the opioid conversations that are happening too. 
Um, and that's an area where people of color aren't, I mean, they are getting hit hard in that area. But when you think about the prescription before some of these regulations came out, if you were a person of color and you went to the doctor and you were in pain, take some ibuprofen and go home. Right. That's, that's kind of the, the nuance behind that. But they would overprescribe to, um, you know, Caucasian people all the time mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I think, you know, with, with COVID-19, it's an eye-opener for so many different, um, you know, different people in healthcare systems to say that we have to do things differently. Um, you know, we see that now even there's health insurance companies providing PPE mm. um, to different communities, um, understanding that they have to be more than an insurance company. And I think that is what we're seeing now play out. Personally, you know, I've known people who've had COVID. Um, you know, I've had family member, a family member who was really close to me, unfortunately passed away of COVID. And just, you know, dealing with all of that um, and navigating the healthcare system, I think mm-hmm. is really mm-hmm. important. Learning how to navigate the healthcare system, it goes back to, you know, there's a lot of times where people say, oh, use telehealth or, you know, use your member portal or whatever. But again, if you don't have access to these things, Mm -hmm. it makes it very difficult. So I think right now we're reimagining what healthcare is going to look like. Um, I think right now we have this holdup at the national level, um, but we're reimagining what healthcare looks like so that we won't be put into this position again, hopefully, um, and that we can address a lot of the determinants that we're seeing. Thank you for sharing that. You know, um, you you talked about um, you know the healthcare changing. You mentioned the uh, there's a lot of challenges. You mentioned COVID a couple of times as well. But a while ago, you mentioned many individuals relied on the emergency room for basic care in normal yeah. times. Um, and then, how do you think that's changed during COVID? Because maybe some of these people can't do telehealth. I know I did telehealth for the first time ever during COVID. Um, what do you think has changed? I mean, are they getting the care? Are they not getting the care? Have you, are there any statistics or facts on that? I don't, I haven't really looked into that the statistic wise, statistics wise, but I know that, you know, when, when COVID first started, there was a lot of commentary about don't go to the emergency room. Um, you know, you're better off staying at home, not, yeah. you know, um, contracting anything if you don't have it. Um, but also to making sure that your safety is, is put first. So there was a lot of commentary around that. And there was some health, um, some hospitals just said, you know, what are your, from the front said, what are yeah. your symptoms? What are you experiencing? No, go home. Yeah. Um, and so now they're, I haven't been in, you know, a hospital recently. I don't know what it looks like. Um, But I know personally, there has been some people who just said, well, I'm not going to the hospital or I'm not, you know, getting um, the care that I need because I'm not, I'm afraid of contracting COVID. I know also too, one thing that's been really huge is I know people personally whose medications are all screwed up. Yeah. I mean, that is a huge thing right now is they're not, you know, they're not on their normal cycle of medications because a lot of times you need to go and get, um, authorization to get mm-hmm. the refill mm-hmm. and so you have to either go into the, the doctor's office the hospital or telehealth and so I know a lot of prescriptions are all messed up I mean it's it really threw a wrench into our total health care I think a lot of people are starting to re-envision like community health workers in a different way as well as care coordinators mm-hmm. who do have a connection point and they you know they they communicate directly with that person and ensuring that they follow up for different appointments or you know, is it time for your mm-hmm. refill of your prescription? Have you done that yet? Mm-hmm. And so I think we're going to be utilizing a lot more community resources to make sure that people are getting the care that they need over time. So in, in the emergency rooms, 
and people not going and medications being screwed up and things like that. Do you think that is more prevalent in the African-American community? Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's, I, I don't know if we're breaking up or not, but I think it's more of a um, social economic status instead of necessarily a, uh, can you hear me, Althea? Okay, um, so I think it's more so at the socioeconomic status than necessarily the communities of color. I mean, ultimately, mm -hmm. obviously, we see communities of color playing out in, in the, on the national platform. But we look at rural areas within Western New York. We have Alden, Akron, Wales, you know, you name it. We have a lot of rural areas within yeah. our Western New York community. And I'm pretty sure it's playing uh, a hand in that as well. I used to, way back in the day, I used to work for... Um, for a company or a non-for-profit where we would really use volunteers to provide transportation to people within our rural areas to take them to doctor's offices, whatever the case may be, because they didn't necessarily have that transportation either. And so I can only assume that that's also playing a factor into what we're seeing now. So I wouldn't say necessarily just communities of color, yeah. but I would say it's based off your social economic status. And they're also saying that in these areas, and that's why, you know, COVID awareness is, is that important too, because they don't have the, the access to that many um, healthcare systems in these rural areas mm -hmm. either. So if they get bombarded, they're really, you know, going to be in a, mm -hmm. in a really stressful situation. I think the other thing is we're looking at federal funding across the nation right now. We're also looking at state funding being cut in certain areas and those are impacting some of these community hospitals in these areas that rely on that funding. And so if you don't have access to getting PPE and things like that, that's where you see people in, right. in some trouble for sure. Right. So many things to think about. So before we, we close, I just want you guys to touch a little bit on something, um, the mental health. I know a lot of people that struggled with uh, mental health and living, you know, at or below the line are really suffering, you know, with the COVID and the restrictions and everything. Um, do you think the um, African-American population has been affected more? Do you think they're able to get the care that they need? Um, anything that you want to chat about in that area? Oh, we can do, Althea, we could do a whole podcast on this. Give us a little tip and then maybe we'll do another one on that. <laughs> so we talk about mental health mm -hmm. in the Black community all the time. Previously, I think to, you know, this year and a little bit before, mental health, going to a mental health professional was almost like a bad stigma attached to you. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, you're going to go see and talk to someone. You must be crazy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, and I think that was a, what a lot of people actually um, thought about when they thought about going to a mental health provider. Now, I think it's nothing. I know it's essential to go to a mental health provider just to talk about everything that's going on. I once heard someone say, you know, being a person of color in America, you have mental health issues, no matter if you <laughs> want to admit it or not, but you have mental health issues. Even with COVID, we're living in two pandemics. We have COVID-19 and we have the racial unjust that we're seeing and, and, and unrest that we're seeing. And it is not normal for anyone to watch someone dying on national TV yeah. and he's seeing it repetitively. It's not normal. And so you, that, that sits with you, you know, it's hard to go, sometimes go about your day. Um, when you're seeing things like this, these messages, knowing that COVID-19 is plaguing your communities, um, 
it's very hard. So mental health, I always say mental health is wealth, but it really is because what, what we're seeing in 2020 is not normal for anyone. And so um, we, you know, when you're looking at mental health and looking for mental health providers, uh, if you're out there, please make yourself known because I think a lot of people are, are seeking for mental health professionals at this point. I was just going to say that I know, I mean, and this is even talking about privilege to a certain extent, because if you do have health insurance, um, or if you have access to resources, because telehealth became a real thing and people had access to it, it did allow you to, as long as people were in New York State, find a mental health counselor in New York State anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so in our area, um, you know, we talked about finding black doctors or finding mental health uh, professionals who look like you or could relate to you. And you could go to, to downstate, right? You can go mm-hmm. to New York City and see somebody utilizing um, telehealth services versus having just to rely on your, your current community. But to your point, I think, you know, mental health is, is vital at this point and everyone is struggling. Everyone mm-hmm. is struggling, um, you know, black, white, whatever, at the end of the day, because we're all living in a global pandemic right now. And so if you haven't talked to someone and you are struggling, I do highly suggest uh, that you you look somebody up and, and try to get access. Um, I, if there's any other resources that you can think of, um, we might be able to plug that in our mm-hmm. show notes um, for folks to kind of look at. Organizations, crisis services, they have their hotline, um, the um, Horizon Health, Best Self. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many wonderful organizations that if they specifically can't help individuals, they can certainly be a resource, especially crisis services. So um, we have somebody who has a question. Let me, I'm just going to put it in here. Um, We got one more question coming in, I think. So um, anything, you know, there's one thing that I always want to always like to say is that healthcare should not be a privilege. It should be a right. And for everybody we need to get to that point so i think there's a question coming in so i don't know anything else you'd like to to um to close with ladies or add to our conversation i know this has been a really great conversation um this is you know obviously we talk about healthcare, and it's so many things that you can talk about with healthcare. but i think now is the time to really reimagine what healthcare looks like um, like you said, Althea, it is a right. And so everyone should have a right to healthcare. Um, Akua talked about, you know, making sure that we have community resources available, um, for everyone. And so this is really a time to reimagine what healthcare looks like and make sure that it is delivered effectively to everyone. I think that's our gem of the gem of the day. Oh yeah. Gem of the day. <laughs> <laughs> we always end with the gem of the day. And so, um, you know, to your point, healthcare is a right. And we, we encourage people to really take that responsibility on um, and connect to people to mm-hmm. have a higher level of care. Thank you so much. You, you two are amazing. I just love talking with you. And we were just saying, we could like have you do this like every week for us, you know? We can- <laughs> Come on. <laughs> right, right. We have another mic set up. <laughs> you have great chemistry between you as well. But I, I want to thank you and really thank you. Both of you do such great work. Um, it, to you know, supporting the black community and really being a voice for your um, your your people, and also I think um, both of you work in the diversity, inclusion, and equity space. So if anybody needs anything, I think these two are a gem. <laughs> I got that in there. Um, in there. I didn't even do that on purpose. So, but I want to thank you so much for your knowledge and your 
your support of Leadership Buffalo and also the, the knowledge that you imparted to our, our uh, audience today. So we were on Facebook Live as well as in our town hall here. So um, hopefully we'll be able to share this great information with many, many people. So you both stay well and I hope to see you both in person soon. Thank you. Too. you. Thank you for having us. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Black Gems Dive In Podcast. Make sure you rate and subscribe on all of the major streaming platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow us on our social media platforms at Black Gems Dive In on Twitter and Instagram and at Black Gems Dive In Podcast on Facebook.